0: Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn his truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Allow me to read this passage of scripture, it's Jude chapter 1, <laughs> not chapter 1, it's actually just Jude. <laughs> Verses 8 through 13. There's only one chapter of Jude. Jude verses 8 through 13. Yet in the same way these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand, and the things which they know by instinct like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. And for pay they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are the men who are hidden wreaths in your love feasts, when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves. Clouds without water, carried along with, by the wind. Autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam. Wandering stars from who, for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. So we look at this passage of scripture as we continue our study through the book of Jude. And the whole principle of the book of Jude is attention that there are now false teachers in our midst. And I believe that same message needs to be held true today. I, I do not know of any type of uh, false leadership within our church, but, folks, you don't have to listen very far to hear false teachings. They're they're all over the airwaves. They're, uh, they'll find any way they possibly can to, to infiltrate anything of God. So just kind of do a... Get that little spider... <laughs> uh, just to do a real quick overview. Last week we looked at how the apostates, which is another word for false prophets, were guilty of the same sins as the Israelites who through disbelief died in the wilderness. How like the demonic angels they rejected the authority of God. And how like Sodom and Gomorrah they were guilty of gross immorality. And in today's passage we're just going to continue with that uh, by looking at the very first words. Yet in the same way these men... So in other words, what Jude is saying is, just like the Israelites in their unbelief, just like the demonic angels who fell from heaven rejected the authority of God, and just like those people in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah uh, conducted and were guilty of gross immorality, in the same way uh, are these false teachers, these apostates. Now, apostates is not a word we use a lot. <laughs> I don't hardly ever use it unless I'm preaching from the Word of God, but The word apostate basically means those who have truly heard the gospel, they should know better, but they have allowed their corrupt hearts and minds to reject the gospel and to actually become enemies of the truth. Uh, They've taken what they've heard and they twist it and they turn it and they corrupt it to fit their own uh, self-centered, fleshly lies. And so what we're clearly seeing is Jude is that he is going to be describing their character or really their lack of character. And he begins by saying, by dreaming, these men, these false teachers, these apostates are living in a dream world. They're delusional. They're, they have unrealistic beliefs. They're not willing to look and understand and accept the truth of the Word of God. So what they do is they take the Word of God and they dream up their own ways to reinterpret it uh, to fit their own desires. Now we've talked about the Pharisees a lot in our study uh, in Matthew when Jesus was calling them out time and time again because they had taken the true word of God, the law, and they had twisted and turned it into what they wanted it to mean and they watered it down so that man could follow the law instead of only being able to do so through the power of God. And so that's basically what uh, he's convicting them of is that they're living in a dream world and they are taking the truth of God's word and they're twisting and turning it to make it what they want it to be. And then he says, and they defile the flesh. So they're living in a dream world, and they defile the flesh. Well, they live to fulfill their fleshly desires. And this is obviously under satanic control. But you and I are born with fleshly desires. Uh, the Bible says that you know we we fight against the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. And those are just really inborn things. Yes, they are Satan because Satan is the father of all lies. Satan is the father of all sin. But we are fleshly people, and without God, without His Holy Spirit living in and through us, we can easily give over to these same fleshly desires. But what we find out is just like in the same way, These men acted like those in Sodom and Gomorrah. They sought after their fleshly desires being met. And they did some of the same things that they did in Sodom and Gomorrah. They sought after unnatural relationships of men with men, women with women, and even far more perverse acts than that. And as I shared last week, they, they somehow came up with this explanation Well, salvation only deals with the spirit, but it does not deal with the flesh. The spirit can be pure and holy, but the flesh is always evil. So your spirit is saved through salvation, but you continue to live your life in the flesh. And you just do what you want to. Now, there's nothing in the Bible that supports that. The Bible is always in contradiction to that, where the Bible says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. God tells us to act, to live in a holy, godly manner. But they have convinced themselves that you know, to live and defile the flesh is acceptable behavior. Then they reject the authority of God. See, they refuse to surrender their control of their lives to anyone but themselves. They commit blasphemy and they reject God's commandments. And they basically defy God to judge them. We're going to see that a little bit even more next week. They're basically thumbing their nose up at God and saying, you know, here we are, we're living this lifestyle, and you're not doing anything to us yet. We're going to find out next week what God's intentions are for them. Then the last part of that verse, as well as verse 9, deal with they reviled angelic majesties. Now, what are angels? Who are angels? Well, throughout the Bible, we see that angels are godly created beings. They are not God. They were creatures created by God. They are different than humans. Sometimes God gives them the appearance of a human, just like he did uh, at the tomb of Jesus, where two men in white were standing there. Uh, he did the same thing when, uh, uh, in several different occasions, where... Angels took on human forms to talk with and to minister to human beings. But as a general part, angels are seen in two different roles. They're there to have a special role of ministry to man as well as worshiping Almighty God. We see the, uh, ser- and the uh, seraphims and the seraphims and the different kinds of angels. Some of them are bowing before the throne of God in worship, others are being used by God in his ministry. Well, Jude uses Michael, the archangel. We do that, know that through the scriptures that Michael is an archangel. He's sent by God on very special situations, many times to do uh, spiritual warfare. Now, what we find in verse 9 is not found elsewhere in the Bible. It's referred to, but it does not go into the depth that what Jude is doing. So, What Jude is doing is he is using extra-biblical historical material. Not that it's not inspired. He's not saying that this entire material is inspired of God, but he's saying that this is true, otherwise God would not have allowed him to write it in this inspired word. So what is he referring to? Michael the archangel disputed with the devil over the body of Moses. Now here's what the Bible does say. If you remember, Moses struck the rock in anger to get water out of it. And God basically said, because of your anger, you will not enter into the promised land. So when the time came for the Israelites to be ready to enter into that promised land, God took Moses up in the mountains, up on a high hill, where he could overlook the promised land. God showed him what the Israelites would be inheriting. But then Moses' ministry and his life ended and God hid his body. Now, why would God bury Moses somewhere where nobody else would know? Well, he knew how powerful of a leader Moses had been. Some liked him, some didn't. But he knew that for 40 years, Moses had been the voice of God to these people, and he was revered by many people. And so if God had instructed the Israelites to build a a really nice, tomb for Moses, guess what would have happened? They would have made pilgrimages back to Moses' tomb. And he would become a type of deity. He would become an idol to the people. And God did not want his chosen man, Moses, to become an idol worshipped by the people. And so he took his body and hid it. Now, the extra-biblical historical evidence is that Michael, the archangel, had to deal with Satan. Satan, because Moses was a sinner, said, I claim the body. I claim Moses, because he is a sinner. But uh, Michael the archangel had to deal with him. But instead of cursing Satan, which all of us would like to have done, he simply said, the Lord rebuke you. See, even the most powerful angel Ever created by God, Michael the Archangel, never usurped the power of God himself, but put the power and the responsibility of all judgment in God's hands. And so, what these uh, people are doing is they're rejecting the authority of God, they're reviling angelic majesty, and they're basically saying there is no power but our own. And so, we look and we see that uh, the next thing, picking up verse 10, But these men revile the things which they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. So now we start seeing the consequences of their false beliefs. They revile the things of God, they gave into their fleshly animalistic desires, and now they're guilty of destruction. So their arrogance, their words of deception, their following after the desires of their own flesh, their desires to lead the others astray lead them to condemnation. And now he kind of says, Here's, here are examples of what you're doing. You have gone the way of Cain. Now, what does that mean? Well, we've got to go back to Genesis. Cain and Abel are Adam and Eve's first two sons. And it came time for them to make an offering to God. This is after... Adam and Eve had been cast out of the Garden of Eden, and Abel offered an animal sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. Cain offered a fruit sacrifice, the fruit of the land. God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but he rejected Cain's. Why? Well, you got to go back to the first sin. When Adam and Eve ate of that tr- uh, fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they all of a sudden realized, hey, we're naked and we're ashamed. Now, they had been living in the garden with God up until that point in their nakedness and never had any thoughts about it. But because of their sin, they became self-conscious and they were ashamed of their nakedness. According to the scriptures, God provided them animal skins. Now, let's think about that. How do you provide an animal skin? You have to kill the animal first, right? An animal's blood had to be sacrificed so that Adam and Eve's sin could be covered. So there had to be a blood sacrifice for sin. Abel offered a blood animal sacrifice for his sin. Cain offered a fruit offering. Not what God commands. So when God accepted Abel's offering, but rejected Cain. Cain became irate, and he allowed his anger to boil, and he killed Abel. And so basically what this is saying is that they have gone the way of Cain. They have basically uh, rejected God's commandments. They rejected God's standards, and they are living by their own means. And they don't care what consequences there are. They're going to live the way that they want to. And God now rejects their lives with condemnation. Then he gives another example. They've rushed into the error of Balaam. Now, Balaam was a prophet of God. God had given him the gift of prophecy. But Balaam decided, hey, there are people who want to pay me to prophesy for them. Of course they want me to prophesy in the way that they want the prophecy to come true. And so I can make good money by selling my gift of prophecy. If you remember, he was on a donkey one time and God intervened and the donkey had to turn around and say, Listen, I'm trying to keep you from getting killed. And he would not; God would not allow Balaam to curse the Israelites as he being paid to. Instead, he blessed them. But then even after he was controlled by God to bless them, he still went behind God, or around God, and convinced the king, well, here's another way to deal with Israelites. Just convince them to, to share the land, to live together in harmony with all these other pagans. And you know what happened. Sooner or later, they began worshipping the same pagan gods as their surrounding uh, countrymen. And they fell away from God. Well, Balaam paid the price, but also the Israelites paid the price. So likewise, these false teachers uh, sought personal gain for their ministry, their, their, their way of uh, working with others. And then it says, and they perished like the rebellion of Korah. Now you got to go back to, him to Exodus to find out who Korah is. Korah was basically of the priestly line during the time of Moses. Uh, When Moses was leading the people, Korah basically said, I think I could do it better. I don't like the direction that Moses is doing this. I want to be the one in charge, not Moses. And so, just like any false leader, he gathered people with a like-mindedness who, for whatever reason, he could convince that Moses should not be our leader. I should be our leader. And so they led a rebellion against Moses. God would have nothing to do with it. If you remember back through our history, back into Exodus, what did God do? He opened up the earth, and they all fell in and died. In other words, God was judge, jury, and executioner. He found them guilty, condemned them to death, and executed them all at the same time. So basically, he's saying, you know, they perish. That is their, that is their future. They will be perished. They will face the judgment of God, just like those who uh, lead the rebellion with Korah. So now going down to verse 12, for these men are like hidden wreaths in your love feast. Well, hidden wreaths uh, today, even small boats have sonars and things like that where they can see what's under the water. They may not see a picture of it, but they can see where the, uh, the seabed or the lake bed or whatever is rising and falling, they can see obstacles and things like that. Well, back in Jewish day, they didn't have that. So if you were a sailor, you had to, especially as you were coming into shore, one of the greatest dangers was to run up against a sandbar or a coral reef. And so what Jude is basically describing is they're like coral reefs. They're hidden under the water. And so you've got to be looking for them. They're not going to be standing out and saying, here we are, we're false teachers, look at us. They, are, they sneak in, just like we looked at the early part of Jude, and they find their ways to infiltrate hearts and lives of other people. They, find, they gradually gain a following, and they make more and more inroads, but they're just like hidden wreaths. And he talks about in your love feast. Now, love feast is only mentioned a couple of times in the Scriptures. What is it? Well, in the New Testament, in the early church, the love feast was basically like what we have, a potluck meal. But here's what they tended to do. The church was made up of multiple levels of society. They had everyone from the destitute the poor to the rich and the powerful and they understood that as children in the family of God they were all equal so those who had would provide the meal and those who did not have would enjoy the meal so the love feast was basically a potluck those who could afford and were able to would bring the food those who could not should not feel humiliated. Instead, they were to enjoy the meal together. Well, what does it say that they, uh, re- like Hidden Reese and the Love Feast? Well, these false teachers, being carnal-minded, being fleshly-oriented, and wanting to fill their own desires, they would just come in, and they wouldn't care who needed to go first. They wouldn't worry about the the, the most poverty, the, the poorest people, making sure that they ate first, and... The rich didn't care if they even got a chance to eat. They could go home and have a feast. But the false teachers, basically, they just came in and started eating. You know, they became gluttonous. They said, hey, free food, let's fill fill up our bellies. And so this shows that they had no concept of true ministry. They didn't care that there were needs greater than theirs with them. They only thought about their own desires. And so there again... If we're not careful, we can see somebody else acting out in a way that our own flesh would like to act. And and we can easily say, well, if they can do it, why can't I do it? So they were leading the group astray. Instead of ministering to the needs of those who were poor and and needed the, the free meal, they just became gluttonous. So then he says, and they were like clouds without water. Now here in Mississippi we can have a rainstorm at any time, right? I mean it doesn't take long for you know for this humidity to build up into the sky and all of a sudden you get a 15-minute shower. Well, in in the Middle East, basically you have two times of the year that you may get some good rain. There's the, the early rains and the late rains. The early rains come to to uh, nourish the ground so that the seeds that were planted would spring forth. And then the late rains would be to help that crop to come to ripening. And so they needed, you know, those rains. And so the farmers, they knew, when they looked at the clouds, they knew which clouds should produce rain. And so basically what he's describing is, They're like clouds that look like they would produce rain, but they're without water. And they're just floating right on by without dumping any water on our needs. And so spiritually he's saying they're like those who promise that they're showing us the right way and that they are leading us to what we need, but yet that promise is empty. There's nothing of value to that. Then he also uh, gives us another illustration. Trees without fruit. Well, you're looking at the spring and summer uh, for the harvest of the fruits and, I mean, of uh, the vegetables and the things, you know, wheat and things like that. But the trees would, their harvest would come in the fall, later in the year. And so basically, the, again, the farmer would go out for harvest. All these fruit trees, the fig trees, the almond trees, the olive trees, all these trees that they would have would be fruitless. They would start looking examining the trees. And they realized that their roots were dead. And so it's just like a farmer who's depending on these fruit trees to produce a harvest. He goes out and looks and there's no fruit. Well, these false teachers are basically false fruit trees. They're given the appearance that we're going to produce something that is fruitful, that is beneficial. But they never produce anything of value. And... We've even dealt with this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 20. You will know them by their fruits. So they pr- promise, they make it look like they're pr- going to produce eternal life, salvation, but they are fruitless. And then he compares them in verse 13 to the wild waves of the sea. Now, I'm not a beach person. I've got this fair skin with all these freckles and things like that. And if I'm at the beach for any length of time, and if I don't, I mean, just coat down with a sunscreen and sit under an umbrella, I blister. I'm not talking about just burn. I blister. Uh, if I go without a shirt, I get water blisters on my shoulders and things of that nature. So I'm not a beach person. But for, I have been at the beach. And, you know, you go out there in the morning and, you know, the, the surf has come up. You can walk along and you can see seashells that have come up on the shore and they're really neat to find. And uh, basically what the what the waves do is they keep generating new sand onto the beach and things of this nature. But when the storms come, and I have been at the beach and walked out after a storm has come over the night, what do you find out on the beach after a storm? All sorts of nasty stuff. We call it floatsome, jetsome, different things like that, seaweed and you know all sorts of debris and they basically hire crews to go out in the early morning to clean all that mess up to get the beach ready for the people who want to get out there and surf and pan and whatever and basically what he's saying here is it's like the wild waves that just that just uh, bring up all the debris all the floats and all the seaweed all the disgusting things so instead of being like the regular surf the regular seas, the regular ways, that bring refreshing, that bring new life to the... You're bringing debris, you're bringing worthless stuff, trash. And so the false teachers never provide anything of beauty from the Word of God, but only their lies and their misleadings with their evil hearts and minds. Then he finally finishes up, uh, they're like wandering stars from whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. Now, we don't de- depend too much on the stars anymore to, to, to get navigation. Uh, my phone has what's called GPS, Global Satellite, something or another system, or Global Positioning Satellite. And basically, it can tell me exactly where I am on the face of this Earth. And then I can punch in a destination. It can tell me how to get there. Well. The mariners, the sailors, they had to find the fixed places in the sky. They would find the North Star, the South Star, wherever, whatever hemisphere they were in, and they would look at constellations, and they would know basically where they were and the direction they needed to go. So they needed the fixed objects in the sky to determine their des- their location and where they're heading. Well... A wandering star is basically a meteorite shooting across the sky. It's, it's not in a fixed place. So you cannot trust a meteorite, a falling star, a wandering star, to guide you. It may even be a comet going across the sky. It's not in a fixed position. could be anything, but what it did, it would lead you astray. It would not provide you with guidance that you needed. And basically he's saying these are like the black darkness that's been reserved forever this is your destination you are des- you're deserving of the black darkness in matthew chapter 22 verse 13 jesus said then the king said to the servants bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth that is what god is reserving for these false prophets and we'll see even more devastation that is in store for them next week. But why is this important to us today? Because first of all, there are false prophets in our world today. We may not be personally exposed to them, but more than likely there is some exposure because if if you're not careful what you listen to on television or radio or, or what you read, you could easily be led astray. There are so many people out there that will give commentaries on the Word of God and they will twist it and turn it to fit their mindset versus what the truth of the Word of God is. So we have to be very careful. We have to compare what they say to the truth of God's Word. We always need to pray that God's Holy Spirit will give us true wisdom and guidance, knowledge and understanding so that we'll know if what we're hearing and what we're reading is the truth. And if it's not, we need to warn others about it. don't need to let somebody else walk into the same trap that someone's left for us. So God is showing us through Jude that there are false teachers in the church, in the world, in our communities, and we need to be wary of them. All right, let's close with prayer then. Lord, we are thankful Lord, that you warn us Lord, we need to be warned of the, the falsehoods that uh, are all around us. Lord, they're not all spiritual, but in essence they are because anything that would lead us astray from the truth will lead us astray from you. So, Lord, help us be mindful of what we hear, what we read. And Lord, guide us to discern what is right. Lord, the greatest way for us to know what is right is to read, study, meditate on your word. And, Lord, to compare what we hear from the pulpit or place like this today, or that we compare it to the truth of your entire word. And Lord, not to take something just out of context to make it mean what we want it to mean. Lord, thank you for the warning that we need to be understanding that there are those who, would, who live to lead us astray, to lead us away from you and your truth. So Lord, strengthen us each and every day. Draw us closer to you. And Lord, when we Witness those who are false teachers, those who uh, desire to lead astray. Lord, first help us to resist them. And Lord, help us to re- identify them to others and warn others about them. And Lord, we pray for you to be the guiding force to convict them. Lord, guide us in all we do. Help us to leave this place today, filled with your spirit and your power to pray. And to do whatever you lead us to do, Lord, to better this world around us for your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.